Hello, world singers. My name is Brooke. And I'm Tyler. And this is Cosmere Cosmere Conversations. Are here with Edge Dancer, last piece of our novella series. It has been a couple of months now, and we have done all the different short stories and the novellas. If you have not had an opportunity, go back into the archives, find those, check them out. But it's not a series that you have to go in order. You can listen to this one first. So don't leave. Stay right here because we got things <laughs> to talk about when it comes to probably one of the most well-known or at least most uh, widely read of the short stories, like the older ones. We were yeah, kind of- this is like, I would say, if not the most significant, at least one of the most significant short stories Absolutely. And definitely also one of the longer (laughs) novellas. And probably we would not call this one a short story because it's not short. No, it is not. It makes up the last section of the uh, Arcanum Unbounded. And it's like a good like 20% of the entire book. So which is and it's a thick book to begin with. (laughs) It does fall in between Words of Radiance and Oathbringer. So if you haven't read Words of Radiance yet, don't read You shouldn't be listening to this podcast because hashtag all spoilers all the time. Come on, peeps. You know this. That's the only reason you tune in because you've listened to literally everything or you don't care at all. Before we dive deep into the shard pool, we have a small announcement just a reminder that for our birthday month it was literally just my birthday the other day from when we're recording this and brooks's next month this is our marketing time our reminder that the best way for the podcast to spread and for more cosmere fans to know about what's going on is to leave a rating leave a review in wherever you get your podcast we definitely saw like a couple more on uh, the itunes and some of the other feeds that i check and then literally saw a bump in our downloads so like you who went out there last week or whenever you heard the podcast and added ratings you actually helped like more people downloaded because you left a review that's not Uh, a joke yeah it's a real thing hi new listeners welcome yeah so we're Hoping to continue that. We don't do this all the time just for our birthday celebration. (laughs) You have to do it because it's our birthday. That's what it means, right? You become all powerful and like people have to do what you say Uh when it's your birthday for the entire month. Yes. Man, this is like a very interesting new take on superheroes about you're only a superhero (laughs) with all power for your birthday. Brandon, that's an A-plus idea. You're welcome. Write this into one of your Cosmere stories. Brandon is a big fan of the pod, and we encourage Brandon to write a review for us, <laughs> just like we encourage all people to write reviews for us. It's just really cool and fun to have this little community online of Cosmere friends that we can nerd out with. Um, so leave us a review, bring some more people into that fun little group, and... That will be the end of our plug. But not the end of the podcast, because here we go. Edge Dancer, one, probably my favorite Radiant class in terms of coolness. I don't know. I really like the idea of a fully powered Edge Dancer and the way that they are described, kind of like skating. I think probably take me back to my inline skating days. Oh, goodness. uh, Which, yeah, it was the 90s. Yeah, 90s. Yeah. I got really into my rollerblades for a while. I mean, I don't know. This is a very American-centric and probably very generational thing, but there was a movie called Brink, and that's all I'll say. Oh, my God, Brink. No, we can't go deep. This is not a deep dive (laughs) on old Disney original movies. However, for the ones who know what's up team pup and suds like you you guys are the heroes out there this is a podcast about edge dancer and the 
growth that we see from one of the side characters introduced in the interludes of Words of Radiance, which is Lyft, scene stealer for sure. Total scene stealer. Her original introduction and interlude was so interesting. Her character was immediately she captivating. She has so much personality. Yes. She's so different than anyone else you see in the books. Jumps off the page, really. Yeah. And... I mean, I think Brandon has said, like, she's one of my favorite characters. And I think that shows definitely um, and is the reason why she has become a much bigger part of the Stormlight Archive. I think this short story is, like, on a reread, very easy to be like, eh, I mean. Nothing happened. Yeah, like, nothing really happens. Like, yeah, 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 we already know all of this. But... When you think back to the fact that we didn't have Oathbringer yet when this book came out, it actually revealed so many things like for the first time in this novella. That's kind of where I was left on this reread about feeling, hey, you know, Brandon had to kind of redo a lot of the unveilings and mysteries that came out during Edge Dancer. He had to redo in Oathbringer knowing that some percentage of the audience, I would say probably a larger percentage of the audience, would only read Oathbringer. So like we, for example, have a bunch of cool moments in Edge Dancer that then almost repeat themselves in Oathbringer. Um, Like, for example, Nightblood and Zeth shown for the first time. That happens not in Oathbringer, but in Edge Dancer. And then we obviously get way more of Zeth and teaming up with Lyft, which is the best team. Yeah, that is obviously the show that we want, the spinoff show of just <laughs> yes. Zeth, and Nightblood, and Lyft. Just a weird buddy cop. So good. And we have a whole bunch of kind of mysteries unveiling themselves about Nail, Herald of Justice, that is super important to the greater Risharian war and yeah. what's going on with the Desolations. I do think... That that is something that is not duplicated in Oathbringer. Like, in order to understand how Nalan presents in Oathbringer, you kind of have to have read Edge Dancer because Edge Dancer contains, like, his pivotal moment. Like, literally, he pivots and changes. Because of Lyft. Yeah, because of Lyft, which is really cool. And I think we see, like, a different side of him in Edge Dancer because up until this point, he has basically just been this, yeah, this like random guy who's just running around killing people and you're just like, God, I hate that guy. Yeah, especially when he takes out, oh, what's his name? The the follower of the one. Yeah. Is it Yim? Y-Y-M? That was obviously when nail became like an enemy to me i was like how dare you take out yeah he just wanted like to make such shoes a nice, for people like old guy yeah and and actually as we discuss the plot of edge dancer there are a lot of similarities between the stump who we meet in oh, yeah. edge dancer yeah. and yim let's just jump into it because edge dancer picks up with lift running away from the palace where she had previously had her encounter uh, and is headed to the city of Yedda. Pronunciation, obviously not my thing. However, Yedda is the city. And one of the cool things that I found, again, just a very quick throwaway line, I think literally a single sentence, was that she was visiting the city of Yedda because people said it was the closest thing you could get to seeing the great city of Sesemalax Dar. Sesemalax Dar. Needed to call Brooke in for the pronunciation of that one. But Sesemalax Dar is one of the great cities, much like Kolinar. Uh, we believe it to be a Dawn city and possibly either just named or even partially created by uh, the Herald Yezerin. So we have this kind of allusion to a greater city that Yedda kind of copies a lot of the the way that it's designed with the gouges in the earth and it's carved yeah. through. Yeah, this city is super cool. And something that I love about Brandon's writing and particularly Rashar because there are so many different cultures 
And I love getting to see the different countries and different cultures and how different people have chosen to adapt to the particular environment that exists on Rashar. Protect themselves from the high storm. Yeah. So we've seen so much of cities, you know, building themselves. Yeah. Slanted or like within a crevice of some kind to like protect themselves on the backside of a mountain, something like that. But this I thought was super creative that they have just carved an entire city just into the ground. Um, by use of shard blades, no less. And the city itself, because they carved the city and didn't, it wasn't like a natural formation, they kind of designed it to have a drainage system yeah. that was basically, you know, significantly more advanced uh, than we see in other places. I mean, we can remember from like Kaladin's trips into the, the chasms and stuff, how a huge worry was just like getting a flash flood and drowning down yeah. there and these people in the city of yada which is said to be a lesser city compared to what is it sesemalaxdar sesemalaxdar that they have carved their drainage and it's all part of the plan that these cities were made and that kind of elevates their status uh, quite highly and the reason that I love that is because Lyft remarks all she knows about she can't go to the really cool city of Sisemalax Dar uh, because there is a, a massive war going on and has been going on for many, many decades that we literally know nothing else about. That's that's all. It's just there's this other war going on somewhere on Rashar, probably just as interesting. We could guess maybe uh, some radiance manifesting there we hear more about it in edge dancer and then in oathbringer as well um and this brings me to another i think big reveal that we get from edge dancer which is that another one of the heralds ishar is like alive and kicking i won't say well because none None of of the heralds are well (laughs) um but he is taking the role as like god God king king, or god priest of one of these nations that's in this just like decades long war so it's very like middle east sort of inspired or like palestinian israeli inspired of like this war that has just been going on forever and ever and ishar we find out is kind of the impetus of that like he is in the middle of all of this, like perpetuating this war for we don't know why. So very quickly, let's just remind everyone that Ishar also sometimes goes by the name Ishi, mm-hmm. is the herald and patron of the bondsmiths, uh, just like Yezerin is the patron of the Windrunners and Nail, the herald of justice. Ishar seemingly one of the most significant heralds for one of the most significant classes of radiance and he actually came up with like the whole idea of the oath pact and the idea of leaving Tal'n behind and like the fact that he thought one herald would be enough to hold the oath pact so he is really at the center of like a lot of big things and then an oathbringer we come to find out that he is kind of even the reason why Nalan has been doing everything that he's doing. Yeah. Do we want to kind of read that quote that lets us into what's going on with Nalan and Ishar? Yeah, it's a little long, but I think it's good. And it's a good window into this empathy that we start to feel for Nalan. Quote, Ishar made the truth clear to me. If the bonds between men and Spren are reignited, then men will naturally discover the greater power of the oaths. Without honor to regulate this, there is a small chance that what comes next will allow the Voidbringers to again make the jump between worlds. That would cause a desolation, and even a small chance that the world will be destroyed is a risk that we cannot take. Absolute fidelity to the mission Ishar gave us, the greater law of protecting Rashar, is required. End quote. So we have this kind of big bad in Nalan for at least Words of Radiance and originally depicted in Way of Kings. But in Edge Dancer, he 
we start to slowly peel back the layers and then those layers are either even further revealed and peeled back in Oathbringer. And now it's really, especially because we know Shalash is also depicted in Oathbringer like multiple times. And we really start to see these heralds become more of characters in their own right. Now famously, or I don't know, famously to the nerds, uh, (laughs) all of the heralds, or at least many of the heralds, have been depicted throughout the Stormlight Archive. Um, So they're always in the background. I think the, the very first one is at the assassination we see. Yeah, they've been throughout like the entire time so there's definitely moments when everybody kind of knows oh dang that's nail or that's uh xyz herald but then there are a lot of moments when it's just snuck in the background and he's like passing this person and that person is actually a herald (laughs) or even like with ashar like his you know new name as this god priest like is mentioned but we didn't know that it was Ashar yeah. until later. Exactly. So that is kind of one of the most interesting things that begins in Edge Dancers. We really start to see these heralds start to come out of the woodwork. They come out of the woodwork as <laughs> real characters and like with real challenges. And it's going to be so interesting to see like what's going on with Shalash and what's going on with the rest of the heralds. What have their struggles been? And I think like the triumph that Brandon achieves, particularly in Edge Dancer with the Heralds, is taking the character of Nalan, who, as you said, is pretty one note and like pretty two dimensional up until this point. And then within the course of just one like fairly short novella, we one get more information about what he's doing, start to feel a little bit more compassionate towards him and then watch him see all of his ideals and like his entire motivation for everything that he does like taken apart and his like realization and disillusionment and then we see even more character growth from him in Oathbringer and I think just the very quick transition there is pretty impressive. Yeah and definitely in my mind the quick transition happens because of the the backstory about how these were real people who have been forced to live this torture over and over and over again um, and have now lived far beyond their natural lifespans. And then as part of breaking the oath pack, they have been mentally breaking down and kind of regressing. So I feel like the it's an unveiling really is like, you know, peeling back those layers to get to something more true underneath. Uh, And I find that the big mysteries and the little mysteries that are shown to us in Edge Dancer are really what make this such a hugely significant uh, book. For example, I find a lot of the the interpersonal relationship development between Wendell and Lyft to be yeah. really, really great and fascinating for both of those characters and also helping us understand what Spren are and kind of giving us that insight that that doesn't have to do with the big war that doesn't i mean they're radiant but uh like you know what i'm saying it's uh yeah just little hints that help us better understand how the nahal bond works what edge dancers can do like what these spren are yeah wendell also is a very interesting spren and he drops a couple of lines that really jumped out to me showing his own personal development but also hinting at other things that we don't have a full understanding of for example quote when he moved he didn't wiggle like an eel he actually grew leaving a long trail of vines behind him that would soon crystallize and decay into dust end quote now most spren from what we've previously understood they don't have as much like crossover into the physical realm well i don't think that has as much to do with wendell as it does with lift well i I think i believe that it's part and parcel or it's kind of goes hand in hand with the wendell is manifesting more in the physical realm because also lift is manifesting more in the cognitive realm and so they're kind of 
working together because that those vines that uh, Wendell leaves behind as he grows, Lyft can physically interact with. And I kind of wonder, is that something that all edge dancers are going to be capable of? No. Exactly. Or it's a Lyft only thing. Um, and he so, says in this book. He, yeah. He's like, it's you're weird. You're not supposed yeah. to be able to touch me like this. But I think the indication that maybe he is also presenting in the physical realm more, maybe more than normal, mm-hmm. is that that dust that he leaves behind, I think, is visible by anyone, anyone. Yeah, yeah, even though Wendell himself is not. That's what, well, except to those silly Kremlings that we'll talk about later. Uh, I, I find the, yeah, the merging of the physical and the cognitive realm we have mentioned before in our Oathbringer breakdowns when we talked about lift we think lift is the game breaker of the series that is the hard thing about like even this book is that we don't have a normal example of an edge dancer yes and so so it's just like lift and Wendell. i think are outliers so it's just like you can't really base anything off of lift and Wendell because they are special and Wendell obviously considers himself very special, but he drops another line when he's lamenting the fact that <laughs> Lyft uses him so poorly uh, because in the cognitive realm, in his homeland, he says, quote, I'm an artist. Why, I was planning in an entire exhibition of sofas when the ring chose me for this atrocious duty, end quote. What the heck is the ring? Why is the ring, is the ring like a council of other yeah, spren? that's what I'm assuming. Well, I'm assuming it's the council of his type of spren. Yes, much like the uh, the honor spren have their whole history and then obviously still kind of breaks away from them, but they have like a hierarchy and a structure. Yeah, because even a pattern says something kind of similar of there being sort of a ruling body of his type of spren that decided like who was going to go and who they should choose yeah this just once again gives you a glimpse with a single line if there is this hierarchy and there is this ring not a a physical object but like i'm assuming a a circle of elders that kind of sits around um if that exists then there has to be a bunch of other things that support that existing you have the cities uh but we didn't know this at the time so like when edge dancer came out we didn't have the yeah. big glimpse that we get in oathbringer about the cognitive realm so all of this was just hinting at the greater possibility and then oathbringer kind of brought a lot of that to the the forefront or made it real and tangible but what a great way that brandon has basically dropped breadcrumbs and hints about all the greater cosmere throughout uh, with just single lines like this is funny like oh he's a, a chair artist he <laughs> collects sofas and, and like different grows different chairs in the cognitive like that's so silly but then by adding something like when the ring chose me for this duty it's also implying a bunch more structure a bunch more hierarchy a whole world that we at this moment were unaware of and now we have more but I want more. You know, I, I need Always. to dive so deep <laughs> into the cognitive realm. Speaking of Wendell and Lyft's relationship, another big thing that comes out of this story is Lyft powers up and gets her quote unquote shard blade. A shard fork, if you will. <laughs> A shard rod. Yeah. <laughs> A window rod. Aw. She goes through a lot of character development in this book and we learn a lot more about her past but also just about why she is the way she is and we watch her grapple with essentially just growing up um and she has a few moments that i found like really relatable of finding yourself in this world where you realize like maybe not even the grown-ups really have an answer and maybe everyone is just making it up and like we're all a little bit scared and and so she has this realization and then she dedicates herself to listening to those who have been ignored 
which is her, I believe, third ideal. Yeah, and that's also where we would pick up with Lyft a third ideal radiant in Oathbringer, uh, which we can softly define also as the ability to manifest your spren as a weapon. There are a couple of interesting things about that. For example, after the the climax of Edge Dancer and kind of in the, you know, the pickup chapter, when you just kind of get a little extra tidbit and uh, the story ends, Lyft asks Wendell about what he can turn into. Uh, she says, you don't have to be a sword. And he's like, of course not. But, quote, I must be metal. There is a connection between our power when condensed and metal, end quote. Metal, metal, metal. Such I knew you were going to love that quote. Oh, my little brain just went all <laughs> down a deep rabbit hole because we have previously talked just last episode in Miss Porn Secret History about how metal and souls on Skadrail are similar in the cognitive realm. They both pop and, and jump out and are remarked upon more than once um, about having similarities. We assume... Or at least on that planet, we have assumed that there was a tie because Ruin and Preservation made both all the souls and made the metal, and they wanted to create that link. Like, yeah, they did it, it makes sense for Scadrial, but... but it's really interesting that it also applies to Rashar, which I guess we can say means that it would be a global... It's a Cosmere thing. Yeah. Not just which a Scadrian like, thing. What? Yeah, and so this kind of gives credence or at least um more weight to people who have been talking about things like silver on threnody and the different uh metals used on taldane like we have a lot of kind of and also all of the words of brandon that we have indicating that something like hemallergy would be effective on all planets yeah so we can kind of use this quote from wendell to help us think about the greater Cosmere and maybe why metal for one reason or another. It makes me wonder if like Adenalsium yeah. was through metal, metal yeah. or something, you know, like obviously something about the base system of just pure investiture is related to metal in some way. Well, I mean, if we kind of think about it, scientifically and we try to break it down we know that the most common elements in our own universe are hydrogen helium like the those kind of base atoms that exist they're created in suns and you know your your cool explosions in the in the universe but the heavier metals your golds your leads everything else are also created in the suns and the exploding stars throughout the universe so maybe it is, I'm trying to think of how it could be like a natural byproduct of the Cosmere, that if you have some type of kind of common thing, investiture, and then that common thing condenses just the same way that hydrogen and helium and all the different atoms can condense and become pounded together in the heart of a star to create metals, and then the stars explode and the metals go scattering across that sounds at least somewhat similar to adenalsium. So like maybe investiture in the same way, like condenses into metals. And then when adenalsium uh, was destroyed, that kind of sent it out across the universe, different metals holding different powers or, or kind of being imbued differently. Definitely a stretch because it's not something we have any type i'm trying to combine like the real but world it just and, like it opens the door to a lot of questions and possibilities so it's definitely something to keep an eye on in all cosmere stories i would say now um really give attention if brandon is talking about metals being weird with investiture in <laughs> any way shape or form our main character lift obviously a radiant of tremendous importance we believe or we know by Oathbringer uh that she has visited the night watcher the night watcher we assume 
well, cultivation, we assume, steps in occasionally, like she did with Dalinar. So we kind of use Dalinar's experience that we do get those flashbacks and how cultivation kind of stepped in and was like, hey, I'm going to use you as my chess piece where we're going to put you into the, the game with this limitation, the memory in Dalinar's case, and then that's going to come back at an important moment so cultivation can like make a strike against Odium. We assume, but don't have the flashbacks yet, that something similar happened to Lyft and that she is kind of a pawn or maybe like a knight or a bishop of Well, and we assume that because we hear multiple times from Lyft that she visited the Night Watcher, but that what she was supposed to get is not really manifesting the way it was supposed to be. Like in Edge Dancer, she says, quote, the wrong things were changing. She was supposed to stay the same and the world was supposed to change around her. She'd asked for that, hadn't she? End quote. Which is a weird thing to ask for. And then you have to remember that she was like nine or 10 when she went to uh, see the Night Watcher. She apparently, these are her words, she was supposed to stay the same and the world was supposed to change around her. It's like, what? Well, and I think it has something to do with her mom. Because she talks about her mom every once in a while and like her mom died. And I feel like there's something there that made her just like I don't ever want to grow up like I don't want to be an adult this seems really awful I just want to stay you know young and innocent forever maybe she had something kind of similar to Shalon where there was like a huge darkness yeah her mother's death and that pushed her on the path eventually that is going to lead her to intertwine with Wendell but it is an interesting idea that she doesn't really understand what cultivation or the night watcher did to her she admits that like dalinar knows i went to the night watcher i asked to forget my ex-wife and then he can't say her name he can't remember her when people say it he can't hear it like he kind of knows what he got um where lift seems very confused she she literally kind of thinks the night watcher like failed or like yeah nothing- well and we haven't seen anything like that before. Everyone else that we've heard of who has gone to the Night Watcher, like it's pretty, pretty much, yeah, gets what they asked for. Whether or not that presents in exactly the way they wanted it to is a different story. But like, it's a pretty clear connection between what they asked for and what they got. Whereas with Lyft, she says multiple times, like, I feel like I'm getting taller. I definitely look older. I'm not supposed to be growing. Like, what the heck is going on? Because I asked for something and I very clearly have not gotten it. And then I'm kind of also taking and implying the things that we get from... I wonder if it has something to do with like other people seeing Lyft. Because obviously she's growing, but... We get a whole bunch from Arklo, who we're going to talk about in a moment in a lot more detail. Uh, but one of the things that he says that may imply what is going on with Lyft is, quote, We watch the others, the assassin, the surgeon, the liar, the high prince, but not you. The others all ignore you. And that, I hazard to predict, is a mistake. End quote. So maybe Lyft is like not appearing as the dangerous weapon maybe what cultivation did is she kind of put a veil around lift's development where she's not um as seemingly important as the other radiance like everyone knows dalinar colin's kind of important or i mean Kaladin. i think that is like always going to be true just because she's young though you well, know yeah, what i mean but what if it was like kind of added like a, a literal like of course you're right naturally you're going to focus on Dalinar Lynn uh, and not a little kid. But what if it was more of Cultivation's plan is that these big entities, including the Amians, are kind of blind to lift? That would make sense if she mm-hmm. was meant to be a, a game breaker of sorts. You don't want people to know about it. 
Yeah, I just don't really get that from what we know so far. Yeah, I mean, I'm really trying to stretch, but uh, it yeah. is kind of like... I do like that quote, though, just because it supports what we have been saying, which is that lift is going to be super, super important. <laughs> yes. So we have a couple of other things from Lyft that I thought were worthy of mentioning. The first is she dropped a throwaway line to Wendell where she says, after complaining that the people at the palace were too nice to her, uh, and that's why she had to leave. She says, quote, I once pulled a guy out of prison, and he gave me five whole days in his den for free, and a nice handkerchief, too. That was generous. End quote. I'm wondering who she broke out of prison, and if this person is important, like in the same way that Tom was broken out of prison and had his kind of events going on in the background, is there another person that was broken out of prison? Did, like, Zeth be in prison in Shinovar or something? No, because she, like, met Zeth later. That doesn't make sense. But I always like these lines that are just kind of trying to hint at something broader and more going on that we don't quite know about. Maybe Lyft doesn't see it as important, but it was important. X, Y, Z. Those types of things always latching on to my brain. But I think probably the most important moment of Lyft's character development comes at the end, comes in the climax, uh, when she has had her conversation with Arklo, has decided to listen to those who are forgotten, and goes to save the stump, who she finds out is a radiant. And we see this moment of her, you know, this young girl, she's like 12 or something, going up against this terrifying Harold, you know, she's completely unequipped to handle this. And like, and we see that we see her feel just like overwhelmed and totally out of her depth. And she has this just moment of feeling really insecure and hopeless, essentially. And she thinks about all of the people that she's met who are also scared and unsure and she thinks, quote, what if everybody is frightened and nobody has the answers? It was the conclusion that had always been too intimidating to consider. It terrified her. She was in darkness, but, well, maybe she'd manage anyway, end quote. And that development, not only very emotionally impactful and kind of one of those things that just like, oh, am I reading a story or am I reading about real life? Yeah, like, and I think especially with Lyft, there's so many just like silly, frothy, mm -hmm. fun stuff. And this one little moment really... Snaps it all. Yeah, hit me in the heart and just sort of connected it more, I think, to the bigger arc of the Stormlight Archive that we've been seeing. It reminded me a lot of the things that we read and hear about and all of the things that are so potent in Oathbringer are these like really down to earth emotional moments like yeah. the reason why everyone cried the entire way through Oathbringer <laughs> is quotes like this because they're incredibly relatable and inspiring and i like the realization that at least in my own personal life and my my personal philosophy or whatever that i've built up uh this type of realization does not happen when people are young yeah yeah so <laughs> like 23 more like <laughs> yeah i definitely think that the, it's the um the dual existential crisis is how i see it you have two times of your development one around the age where lift is uh when you you know you find out santa claus isn't real and the adults of your life have kind of been shielding you or protecting you or just like straight up lying to you about how the world works. And you start to realize that and it makes you angry. And then you become like a very stereotypical, just like angry teen. You're angry at people for lying to you and you reject it. Um, and that's just kind of like a normal thing so much that it's like a trope. Later, at some point in your life, maybe it's midlife crisis, maybe it's 20s like Brooke was saying, but at some point you have the realization that all those lies and all the adults kind of uh, creating the story that we tell to children when they're growing up is not because the adults are wanting to 
be mean to you or trick you, it's because the adults also have no idea what's going on. The adults have no answers. The adults are not in control. The adults are just as lost and confused as you were when you were 12 or 13 and realizing the world is bigger. The scariest thing, the most existential crisis thing, is that nobody has any answers and we're all just flying by the seat of our pants here. But then I think, too, part of this story for Lyft and for all of us is that that realization is terrifying, but at the same time, it's unifying. Mm -hmm. Where, like, Lyft says up until this point, she's been running and she's been afraid because she doesn't want anyone to realize that she doesn't know what she's doing and she doesn't know what's going on and, like... You know, people look at her and they see, oh, you know, you have this power and she's not really sure and she's afraid that someone will like find her out. But when she's able to recognize that no one really knows what they're doing, right, then she doesn't have to be afraid of that. Then she can unite with the people around her and all agree like, hey, we're not really sure what this whole roller coaster of life is, but we're here together and I will listen to you and I will remember you and, you know, we'll figure it out together. And I think that's why by the very end, her last chapter, last paragraph, um, she has this moment when she's walking out of the city of Yadda and there are refugees storming in because the ever storm has just hit um, and people are flooding into the big city from the countryside. A bunch of them are injured storming in from the countryside. A bunch of them are injured and Lyf decides to heal them, uh, and she walks by, and she basically drains all of her stormlight, healing each of the people, uh, and she gets through, you know, a couple before running out, and she waves goodbye and walks away. And she says to Wendell, quote, a better night than me might have stayed and healed everyone. A big project, perhaps too big. And too small, all the same, Lyf said, shoving her hands in her pockets, and walked for a time. She couldn't rightly explain it, but she knew that something larger was coming, and she needed to get to Azir. End quote. This idea that her... She she sees this big storm coming, she understands kind of her role a little bit better, and that she is a significant player in it, but she is also choosing to help those who are forgotten, and to listen, and to help where she can. But... She's accepting her position um, as a Knight's Radiant, basically. Yeah. And that is really what is so important about Edge Dancer as a story. Like, by the time we see Lyft in Oathbringer, she's already made her decision. And then she gets to go and have funny cracks about <laughs> Dalinar's tight butt. And, like, great moments at the end when she's paddling around through a massive war going on. <laughs> but, like, this is such a small thing. You know, you can just imagine Lyft, a tiny little child, 12 years old, walking through a crowd and just touching people as she goes, not really hiding her her powers anymore. I mean, everyone sees her. This isn't like done in darkness or secret. Um, she just kind of accepts her role. Like, this is what I do. I help the people that I can, but I also need to move back to where I can help the larger war and and that's yeah and i think like the paralysis of inaction also here like we see her overcoming where you know she says well i I can't heal everyone and previously that would have made her not even want to try right like well if i can't heal everyone then i'm just not gonna heal anyone because it would be too bad to you know not be able to do the whole thing and here she has accepted that she can at least help a little bit, even if she can't do everything. Should we talk about the great cosmic sort of power that inspires Lyft and sends her on this whole journey of growth? There is a reveal. I think biggest reveal of this book. Oh, definitely of Edge Dancer, if not... Like everything? Everything, exactly. (laughs) So... We have, throughout Way of Kings and Words of Radiance, definitely by the time we get to Oathbringer, been seeing tiny little Kremlings running around. Just, they remind me of the crab-like rock 
characters, um, or not characters, but little creatures that were in the third Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Uh. Oh man, it's like a in my brain, this is what Kremlins are, but correct me if I'm wrong, Brooke. They're just kind of creepy little crab-like characters. Centipede, almost-esque. Oh, I imagine them as like beetles, sort of. Sure. that's Or like cockroaches. Yeah. I think that that is a fine description, obviously, with some Risharian elements. Uh, but if anyone has seen the third Pirates of the Caribbean movie, and you remember when Jack Sparrow's like trapped in the underworld or whatever, uh, the little rock crab things is my, how my brain <laughs> pictures Kremlins. And they've been... Just said to be hanging out on the wall, weird one, yeah, looking like it like has an eyeball. Everywhere. Yeah, they're everywhere. And then in Edge Dancer, we have a meeting with Lyft and what she calls the monster. Now we know the monster to actually be one of the Dicean Amians. And this is like also a reveal because as a Cosmere fan, you know, we are always looking out for Hoyd. And so when Lyft finds like a sharp-witted, strange old man hanging around who like takes an interest in Lyft. We're like, hey. Yeah, obviously Hoyd? you're like, oh, cool, Hoyd. Okay, great. Got it. No. No. Brandon's not Hoyd. Oh my God. You got me, Brandon. You got me real good. Because it's something, I mean, maybe nothing's more powerful than Hoyd, but like it's something weird and something different and something much, much deeper than we have seen anywhere else, maybe throughout the entire Cosmere. Like the- yeah. And this reveal of a different kind of Amian than we've previously seen, one that is made up of what's called hordlings that look like Kremlings, this started like one of the biggest, I would say, obsessions during Oathbringer literally everyone was like keep an eye out for the kremlings 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 like all through oathbringer and that was all started here so this was like huge reveal so there's a couple of things for those people who are less familiar with what the amians are we know that there are two different types of amians the dicean amians and the sia amians we know that the majority of them live on the island continent, small portion with a couple of islands, Ania. Well, we like didn't even know if any of them were really alive because the mythology on Rashar is that the island or multiple islands of Amia were scourged, presumably le- leaving nothing. And then we meet one in an interlude, Axie's the Collector. And now we sort of get a window into seeing that Amians of both types are, one, more alive Alive than we thought they were. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And two, much more involved and interested in the current events that are happening than we previously would have guessed. Now, the Dicean Amian that Lyft meets even though she calls him the monster. Uh, his name is Arklo. He name, he, that's the name he gives himself. He says, uh, quote, if you ever encounter another of the sleepless, tell them you've spoken with Arklo. I'm certain it will gain you sympathy, end quote. So we have two names kind of given, one to his, his race, yeah. uh, which we assume is another name for the Dicean Amians is the sleepless. And then his personal name is Arklo. I have no idea if this is a joke, like he's an outcast or something and everyone hates Arklo. Yeah, uh, about the sympathy. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I don't think you're going to get sympathy if you tell them you hung out with Arklo. I think everyone's going to be like, okay, kill her. Uh, and then she's going to be all like, I'm awesome. Uh, that's the sounds that Lyft makes. Definitely. Yeah, I am the Foley artist for Lyft. The most kind of important thing that Arklo and or that comes from Arklo and Lyft meeting is obviously that she figures out that the stump is a Knight's Radiant and that Nail is going to kill her. Um, and she sets off on the path to save the stump. Okay. Huge for the, the climax of the book. Uh, but we just learn so much so quickly from this Dicean Amian. Arklo mentions because Lyft 
originally thinks that Nalan and his protégés are coming to kill Arklo. And he kind of laughs at that and is like, no, like, I don't have anything to fear from the Heralds. And they learned a long time ago to leave me alone. So that's like a pretty interesting tidbit that yeah, i mean weird flex but okay uh, that's they just must like, be like super powerful <laughs> yeah or just i mean he can essentially break apart into a bunch of tiny kremlings and you know that makes him very difficult to destroy we have from a word of brandon when asked you know post edge dancer publication asked about the sleepless brandon confirms that the sleepless are not confined to rashar they may not even be Rashar native. They might have come from a different place um, and ended up on Rashar. Now, maybe that is Ashen, um, and they're still native to the Risharian system, but we, didn't, we, we have no reason to necessarily believe that either. Like, they could come from anywhere in the Cosmere. Yeah, he's said that there are sleepless on many planets, but they have mostly settled on Rashar. So that's super interesting. And I am just like obsessed with Amians. I think they're so cool. <laughs> and there's a bunch of cool word of Brandon's that give us some insights into the Amians. Another one is that uh, Brandon said Dicey and Amians are kind of agents of cultivation. So cool. Which fits to me with the idea that Arklo um, talks about. And just kind of the general idea about like cultivation where, you know, they are a species that is collected into like one sentient thing from a bunch of smaller things, which, you know, you can kind of find some like, oh, yeah, cultivation. She she is all things. She's everywhere. She's all the plants and whatnot. Um, but she is also one thing. So that kind of goes hand in hand, how they would be agents of cultivation. But to give us a scale of just Arklo himself. We don't know if there's a bunch of different Arklos running around um, that make up the Sleepless or if they're all kind of a hive mind type of thing. I think, well, I think the Hordlings are a hive mind, but only the Hordlings that are like incorporated into Arklo and that there would be like another being, you know, call it Beeklo. <laughs> And none of... Please, let's call it that. <laughs> You're welcome, Brandon. We've named your new character. None of those hordlings would be in a hive mind with Arklo's hordlings. Maybe possible. He says this, quote, Where else would I have the excuse to cover my entire body? I've spent thousands of years breeding my hordlings, and still I can't make them fit together quite right. I can pass for human almost as well as a Sia can these days, I'd hazard. But anyone who looks closely finds something off. It's rather frustrating. End quote. So he himself, if he is only one thing that has always existed, has been breeding his body parts for thousands of years on Rashar. We know the history of Rashar well enough, we think, to know that this puts him throughout many of the important events throughout Rasharian history. So we can just go out on a small limb and say that Arklo or the Dicean Amians in general, the Amians in general, have always been part of these events and we just don't know what their role has been. Yeah, I think there's even another quote where he says that he, like an ally with the Heralds and the Knights Radiant previously. Yeah, okay, quote, you needn't fear me. Your war is my war and has been for millennia. Ancient Radiance named me friend and ally before everything went wrong. End quote. So we can assume the thing that went wrong was the recreants, right? And the, the Knights Radiant giving up. The... Yeah, something like that. Um, and then in Oathbringer, one of Dalinar's visions when he's like walking through the aftermath of a desolation, he sees like a burned out pile of Kremlings that we can guess is one of the sleepless. Now, this obviously just is bombarding me with new questions, bombarding all of us with like this information about what are the Amians? Because we get someone who tries to travel to Amia in the interlude of Oathbringer. Is that correct? 
Yes. Yeah. And that's such a good interlude. Yes. And we, so we know that it's being unveiled slowly. We know that the Amians are probably going to have a role, but the Hordling, or the, sorry, the Dicean Amians who are able to control the Hordlings, as Arklo mentioned, are not quite as good at passing as a human as the Sia Amians. The Sia Amians. All we know about them basically is that they are masters of kind of disguise or that they're probably all throughout human civilization. Yeah, they can change a lot of their appearance at will. However, I think they do have some physical characteristics that are identifying, like they have crystalline blue fingernails, they have blue eyes that like look kind of funky too, and their shadows go the wrong way. Because per Brandon, they are in some way connected to the cognitive realm. And so that whole like flip that yeah. happens, mm. um, that's why their shadow goes the wrong way. So they're they're basically getting the, the sun, not from the real world, yeah. but from the cognitive realm. And like I said, I'm obsessed with Amians. So I was doing a bunch of research for this episode and I came across a word of Brandon that I'm going to do some more research on, but I thought it was really interesting. The Sia Amians are able to interbreed with humans and created one, maybe two different like races of humans on Rashar. Do we have the details about which race we assume it is? Is it the Thalans? No, it's not the Thalans. It's the Natan people okay. who I think are described as like and having kind tint. of a blue tint. Yeah. Yeah. And then an Oathbringer, we get that like bedtime story about one of the moons creating the Natan people. So like I said, I'm going to do a little bit more research, but okay. so interesting. And that is really probably the biggest aspect of edge dancer that was like why you should read this yeah i mean huge bombshell the personal growth of both lift and wendell and uh nalan all great all cool we meet another radiant the stump we don't know how she's gonna play uh into this world at all uh, but i think just that like window into the fact that there are knights radiant sort of popping up everywhere and yes they are not the sort of core radiance that we've been following maybe they're not doing anything big like you know becoming high prince of war or whatever but they are around and like there's more of them than i previously would have thought and i think that's probably the most important thing because right now what we have seen is that there's kaladin who was able to train up his what what they call them the squires right yeah and then some of the squires can become full radiance in their own right what i think it is important to remember is that in the past the radiance were an order with dozens or hundreds of radiance in each specific order so like there could have been a hundred wind runners all with dozens of squires um, and we are maybe at the very, very beginning of a massive number in, in the thousands of possible radiants that could conceivably be running around by the end events of either Stormlight 5 or Stormlight 10. Like, we don't know how big the orders of Knight's Radiance can grow. We know that the Bondsmiths are limited yeah. um, to three, but we outside of that, we assume that there are differences based on the vows and what attracts different spren, but it's entirely possible that things like edge dancers um, or real versions of uh, Renarin's truth watchers, oh. you know, we don't we don't know how many there could possibly be in that instance. Yeah, we do hear that it varies from order to order and that like Windrunners in particular being more of a martial yeah. order do tend to be one of the larger ones. But like you said, clearly there is going to be a lot more coming about. And I think that obviously we know that the stump has healing powers. And we knew that Yim was um, the previous 
host or the bonding of Wendell. So he he was an edge dancer, Yim. We can assume that the stump is probably also an edge dancer. Yeah. And then, so here's where we come back to the fact that Lyft and Wendell are not a good example of regular edge dancers because both Yim and Stump describe their spren as like a flickering light of some kind, not a vine growing like Windle. But Windle says that he was with Yim. So like that's just the perfect example. Exactly. That lift is a game breaker and changes everything. Yeah. Well, and not only does she change, every, yeah, she changes literally everything. She changes the people with nail. She changes the spren that is bonded to her Wendell. But we assume that the signifier of a edge dancer is not a vine-like creature um, or a vine-like spren, but yeah. instead a I think light it's reflected on the be... wall. Yeah, more like a crystal-y sort of thing. Because, like, Wendell's vine has crystals, crystals that yeah. grow in it. And so I'm wondering if Wendell in the cognitive realm is a vine with crystals. And typically the only part of him that Would will be the show. Crystal. Exactly. But Lyft is, like, pulling more of Wendell into, or able to, because of their bond, he's able to more completely come into the physical realm yeah or just she can maybe see more of him and so she describes him like that and we only see him from her perspective oh man oh my gosh there's so much the stormlight archive is obviously our favorite let's actually do this because this is the end of our short story and novella series And we wanted to provide kind of a a timeline, rough estimate uh, that Brandon has presented, Way of the Sanderson. You guys can read that if you would like. Just type it in the Google. You'll find lots of nice stuff. The State of the Sanderson, which is published every year by Brandon because he is so amazing to his fans in uh, December, I believe it is. So let's go through kind of projected schedules of releases not going to limit it only to cosmere this is anything brandon's working on what we can expect coming up is for the sequel to skyward not a cosmere novel but that book will be called star sight and that's coming out this november 2019 so great for you know gifts to sanderson fans we have white sand 3 the graphic novel that is scheduled for release mid to late 2019, or excuse me, possibly late 2019 to early 2020. Have not seen a lot of stuff come, but we know they've yeah. been working on it and it's um, slightly less Brandon intensive because yeah. it has so much with the the other artists and writers of that graphic novel. So keep an eye out if you're a fan of the graphic novel. Then the one we're all waiting for, impatiently, <laughs> Stormlight 4 coming out in fall of 2020. Brandon is 29% of the way through writing the rough draft. So there's that. And if you would like some spoilers and maybe a little glimpse of Stormlight 4, uh, Brandon did something recently at Comic-Con uh that i can just i'm putting out in the universe if you want a little bit more a little insight into where stormlight 4 is going uh you can i know a lot of people like to remain pure but he did some stuff at comic-con so check it out and then we can expect to get skyward 3 in 2021 wax and wayne or mistborn era 2 book 4 sometime late 2020 or early to mid 2021 wow we're so many years in advance out so far it makes me kind of sad and that's like the kind of multi-year plan that he has set up so far so all of you who are hoping for warbreaker 2 uh or another dive down into edge dancer but for a renarin or some other character axie's the collector 
we don't know of any of those, but Brandon also has surprised us before I in mean, the past. Yeah, he's notorious for writing other things in between all of these things. So I wouldn't be surprised if we did get some of that. Um, but just focusing in on Stormlight Archive, the next book to come out, book number four, is going to be focused on Eshenai with her flashbacks. We don't know how that's going to work, but... Yeah, we kind of have speculated previously on the podcast that it might involve Venli and Venli and Eshenai kind of dual flashbacks, but we really don't know how that's going to work. Yeah, I'm very interested to see how that pans out. And then Stormlight 5, which Brandon is already working on outlining and everything to make sure that 4 and 5, you know, work together for the end of this first half of the Stormlight Archive. Book five is going to be based on Zeth's flashbacks. Super excited for that one. And then we have some amount of a time jump that Brandon had already said that Stormlight... I think he says 10 years, right? I think that's what he says is 10 years, but we'll just go with there's going to be a time jump after Stormlight book five, and then it will pick up again with 10 years, you know, in the in-between, whatever it ends up being, with Lift for book six... Renarin for book seven. Shalash, the Herald for book oh, eight. Yes. Talm for book nine. And Yasna for book 10. Sounds so epic. And you are welcome to follow us on this epic journey. We assume we will be doing this podcast for the next 20 to 30 years. <laughs> um, obviously, by the time that Stormlight 10 comes out, we will not only be speaking sweet words inside your eardrums but we'll probably be like fully interconnected hordlings that all make up some type of oh. super organisms oh my god basically that's what i predict brandon won't even have to write anymore we'll just read it directly out of his brain oh dang that would actually be kind of oh my weirdly gosh. cool but what also if there bad. was like ar of rashar or something there's definitely a vr game that's being worked on that's not a joke there is i believe it's stormlight specific and someone put together um a demo oh, i did see that yeah it's really cool it's very cool in and it's in like the the chasms or or running around in the chasms i've heard that the actual uh, mechanics of the game are still pretty rough uh which you can expect when someone's kind of doing it on the cheap in the fly but uh yeah we're definitely going to get some vr ar inside of the cosmere there's so many things going on with the cosmere it's gonna be so many books which you TV can also shows. read about in the state of the sanderson yes that's where it's really great is kind of telling you what's going on around the cosmere as well as what's going on inside of it but the cosmere is a great place to be we are going to be going on a little bit of a break from the podcast so in the meantime like we said at the beginning Hit us up on the interwebs, this cool place that humans have created where we can interact with each other about the things that we really love. Tell us what you thought about all of these novellas. Tell us what you would love to hear us talk about on the podcast. Just tell us your theories. Again, last time, please rate, review, find us on Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, whatever. We're everywhere. You're everywhere. Join the conversation. And until next time, life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination. Mm-hmm.